Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. I'm Preston Sharp. Today, we are looking at our epistle reading for the week, which comes from Philippians 2, 5 through 13. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's describing the nature of God in Christ by quoting what is believed to be an early Christian hymn. But he begins by saying, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, or some other translations say something to be grasped or grasped a hold of. Now, there's a really strong parallel between this poem and some of the propaganda that was used by the Roman Empire at the time. The Roman Empire propagated Caesar as divine. So Caesar Augustus at the time had won many military victories. He'd put up a significant amount of money for public works. So he had become so popular that the people of the empire hailed him as Lord, and they entrusted themselves to him, calling him their savior. In fact, at this time, there was an empire cult, actually, where the entire royal family, Augustus, his wife, Livia, her grandson, uh, Claudius, were all worshipped in the imperial cult in Philippi when Paul was writing his letter. So they believed that all of these royal family members went through this process called apotheosis, where they were actually changed from a person into a god. So there's some contrast here in using some of that language in describing what Christ has done. So the hymn implies that Jesus shares in God's divine, uh, excuse me, God's divine essence, that he was somehow and is somehow pre-existent. But Jesus didn't use this equality with God as an excuse to dominate. He didn't insist on his own needs. He didn't control others for his own gain. Everything that Christ did in bringing salvation is the opposite of selfish ambition. It's not for his own advantage. The point of this Christ hymn is not merely to put Jesus up as an example of humility. It's to describe the means by which redemption has been accomplished. Jesus didn't take his equality with God as something to exploit for his own gain. Instead, he, re- he regarded his equality with God as committing him to a particular course of action. In Jesus, God chose to become Israel's representative, to die under the weight of evil of the world. This is who God is, the self-giving one. It is his very nature. This is the kind of God we see in Jesus, the God of self-giving love. Verse 7 continues, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So in contrast to the apotheosis of the imperial family, them becoming gods, Jesus made himself nothing. Now, Paul doesn't mean that Jesus was divine and then he stopped being divine. It's actually quite the opposite of that. By making himself nothing, by laying down his privilege for the sake of others, Jesus reveals to us what it actually means to be divine. 
<laughs> this is who God is, the one who gives God's self for the world. The important thing for the Philippian church is clear. As Christ set aside his own interest for the sake of others, so should they, because that's what this whole thing is about, because that's what God, who God is. Jesus took the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. Now, made in human likeness doesn't mean he just looked human. He was made in human likeness. He was born like all other humans are born. One of the great early heresies of the church was docetism, the belief that Christ's humanity was kind of a pretend humanity, a semblance of humanity and not real. Well, the church of the first century quickly rejected this doctrine. Jesus had needs just like we do. He became hungry, angry, lonely, and tired like we do. And yet, Jesus trusted God to meet those needs. He was so secure in that reality that he made himself nothing so that he could rescue us. Paul does something also interesting with the image of the cross in verse 8. So today, the image of the cross carries a specific meaning. Whenever we hear today about the cross, we think about Jesus. It always refers to him. But at the time of Paul, the cross meant something different. It was a symbol of Roman power. It was an ominous punishment for all the people that stood against Rome. So if you stood against Rome too strongly, then you were crucified and your cross became a symbol that no matter how much power you had, Rome has more power over you. So what Paul is doing here is he's taking that imperial symbol of power and he's turning it on its head. This image of Roman power is now a sign of God's love. It says, therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name. In the Old Testament, you'll notice that the word Lord is capitalized throughout. So in the Old Testament, the word Lord stands for this holy, unpronounceable name of God, this name that is above every name. So Paul is saying this holy, unpronounceable, sacred name, that name has been given to Jesus. Another way to say it is that God is so great any attempt to give him a name is fruitless. He is always described as name above every name. That name has been given to Jesus. One of our great church fathers, Gregory of Nyssa, says, God is above every name. The only proper way to name God is above every name. God exceeds every operation of the intellect. God cannot be contained in any nominal definition. This is a sign to us of God's incommunicable greatness. Yet this is still a paradox. This one who has the name above every name takes on the common Jewish name, Jesus. Our culture is often defined by the quest for power. We jockey for position so that position might give us influence. By contrast, the Christian faith is about the surrendering of power out of love for God and for the sake of others. Notice where Jesus' power comes from. It comes from his love. This is not a dominating kind of power that coerces a person into submission. No, that was Caesar's kind of power. God's power is divesting. The kind of power that meets a person where they are, grieving with their pain and their hurt and their sin and healing them through love. Every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. That's verse 10. Now, this phrase may be antiquated to us. We have very few situations in our world where we bow down. 
You know, you might have bowed down for your marriage proposal on one knee. We bow at the end of curtain calls when actors come back out again. In the United Kingdom, it's still customary to bow or curtsy to a member of the royal family. Uh, In some of our churches, we bow before the cross. In the early church, the first mention of the name of Jesus was greeted by the bending of the knees in his honor and the confession of his lordship. By bending their knees, the congregation reflected what is happening in heaven. But not only what is happening presently in heaven, this act reflects what will happen in the future when every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. In the New Testament, belief and speaking confession always go together. So in the first centuries when Christianity emerged, it was kind of strange to believe that somebody would need to confess what they believed or speak what they believed. In paganism, in ancient Rome and and Greece, there was no creeds, right? They didn't believe it was necessary to speak what they believed. You just kind of thought it. When Christian missionaries throughout history have brought the gospel with them, they've also brought the creeds of the church. Why? Because speaking is formative. Confession is formative. Christianity is not about events or experiences, although they include those. Christianity has always been about patterns, rhythms, and disciplines. The first creed was Jesus is Lord. This is an important statement for Paul's first hearers because the propaganda statement of the day was Caesar is Lord. But the Christians knew they could only give the title Lord to one person, Jesus. And Paul says there will be a day when all will know and confess the Lordship of Jesus. In Christ, we experience as Christians this transformation of our self-focus our inward focus, where we grasp things for our own selves and our own advantage. That is transformed in Christ by the one who has made himself nothing. And in this radical love, the world is changed. All is made new. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.